My name's Matt Hosier. I'm from here, from the glorious Oceanside metropolis of uh, Bournemouth, Christchurch and Paul. Sounds glamorous. 450,000 people gathered around seven miles of sandy beaches. Uh, well, for this session, we're going to really be picking up on uh, the beautiful way in which Andrew led us uh, just before lunch. Andrew spoke from Jeremiah and gave that imagery about the tree which has its roots on the Zambezi down deep into the water table. And uh, as we look at the natural world, we see all kinds of examples of extraordinary resilience. Those trees which dig down deep, or you can go to deserts and find deserts teeming with life. I, just, I once did a, a biological research project in the Namib Desert looking at microscopic worms in the sand. There you go. The soil of the Namib Desert is teeming with nematodes. Maybe that's something you never knew. You never knew you wanted to know. A bit like Andrew and his perineal, whatever it is, abscesses. But anyway, there's... You go down to the bottoms of the ocean and, and where there are volcan volcanic thermal vents, there's life forms flourishing where life should not flourish. There's resilience that we see in the natural world. And, and, and this theme of resilience, which Andrew led us into, is, is a bit of, it's one of those kind of buzzwords in, in our, certainly in, in my context at the moment. Across the board, people are looking for resilience. There's a Royal Marines and Special Forces uh, base in our town. And I know in that context, they are giving a lot of attention to resilience. How can we ensure that these troops are resilient so they can be as effective as possible in combat? I know that at the school my kids have gone to, there's a lot of talk about resilience. How can we help young people to be resilient in the face of all the pressures of modern life? So people are thinking about resilience, but there is a need for spiritual resilience. There's a need for us to have our roots down deep into the river of God's living water. And, and we have gone through a whole number of crises. And in a world where crises have come and are seemingly going to come with increasing regularity. We need to be making crisis-ready disciples. And so the focus of this next hour is on that. How do we make crisis-ready disciples? And we're, we're going to have three speakers with three short talks. Uh, first of all, Masala from uh, Grace Generation Church in Peter Maritzburg uh, is going to be speaking out of that context. KwaZulu-Natal has, in South Africa has seen extraordinary political challenges and all kinds of challenges from near complete anarchy last year to floods just in the last few weeks, all kinds of chaos. How, how can you be crisis ready in a situation like that? And then Christine Nethers is on the staff at, give it up for Christine, on the staff at Southlands and uh, has a, a, a master's degree from Stanford University in history. So she's going to give us Something with perspective on, on history and our historical amnesia and how we need to have a, a breadth of historical understanding in order to be ready for crises. The way to prepare for coming crises is to be aware of history. And then Brian Barr from One Life Church in Houston, who is one of the most intentional, uh, insightful people I know in terms of thinking about making disciples and identifying and training leaders just sharp. Uh, he's going to be helping us to think about the crisis of leadership in the church and how we can deal with that. So each of these guys have got 10 to 15 minutes 
And then in between each one, I will seek to ask a, a brilliantly insightful question, uh, representing the questions that are coming through the ether in the room. And uh, we'll see how we go with that. So first of all, where's Masala? Let's welcome Masala. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Musala. I come from South Africa in a city called Peter Marisburg. And I'm here with my girlfriend, Makosi. And, uh, <laughs> and we have one daughter that we've left back home. So can we turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And we'll read together verse 1 to verse 11. It reads as follows, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Asia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks to, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so, Father, as we come to your word, we pray for your grace. Give us uh, ability to endure suffering, but also to receive your comfort, even in times of affliction, and help us to comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. <clears throat> So by way of introduction, or, or rather, we're going to look at this topic under three main topics. Number one, we're looking at being a church in a time of crisis. And number two, we are going to look at how to respond to crisis. And then lastly, I will end with the word of exhortation to us uh, in, in terms of what we are to do. But by way of introduction, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. And uh, he had a special relationship with these guys. He planted this church, as you know, in his second missionary journey as he broke through the Roman province of Asia into Europe, Macedonia, and going down to Achaia. 
And he had spent about one and a half years with this church, and this area was very, very wealthy and also full of sensuality, and unfortunately this sensuality was also um, expressed in the church itself. And so Paul, on his third missionary journey, he kind of headquartered in, in Ephesus, and from there he had gone up to Corinth to, to try and encourage them. And surprise, surprise, he gets there and he finds that all things are completely out of order. And he had a painful visit with these guys and was very, very discouraged and went back to Ephesus. Later on, he sends a letter via uh, Timothy uh, that wasn't well received. And then he sends another letter via Titus. And this time around, and he's sitting in, in Ephesus wanting to go down there to encourage these guys, but thinking, if I go now, uh, we might have another painful visit. And he says, I don't want that. I want a better experience with these guys. And so he goes up north into Macedonia and there meets up with Titus. And thank God, when he meets with, with, with Titus again, he finds that the church has responded positively to his previous letter. And so he says, I am now ready to go down to these Corinthians because I know that this particular experience is going to be a better one. And so that is how this second letter, what you call second letter of Corinthians, was, was written by Paul um, and he delivered it through, uh, through, through Titus. And so when we look at this um, situation, we'll find that uh, the, the main theme of his letter, this second letter, is really about suffering, it's about affliction, and it is about comfort, God comforting us in the time of affliction. You will see that again, if you look at it in the book ends of this book, you'll find that in chapter one, it talks about comfort and afflictions and suffering. The word comfort, he mentions it about 10 times, and the word suffering about seven times in this letter. And then again, towards the end, he talks about us comforting one another. So this book is about their difficulty, but Paul is sharing with them from the abundance of his own afflictions and how in the midst of affliction, God has been gracious to him as well. And so in order to do that, he draws from his own experience and he tells them about the, the conflict and the suffering that he has had to endure in his life. He talks about a guy called uh, Demetrius the silversmith, as you know, Acts chapter 19. This guy had caused a riot against Paul and they wanted to destroy him. And they said, this guy has destroyed our business, our God, uh, uh, is it Artemis? They said, Artemis of the Ephesians, uh, we are out of business because of his preaching. And they said, this guy must be put to death. In another place, he says, I have wrestled with a beast in Ephesus because of how difficult the situation was. And again, as if that was not enough, he also had a lot of pressure from the Jews who wanted to destroy him. Earlier on, they spoke to him, uh, contradicted what he was saying, and when he doubled down and continued to preach the gospel, they kind of ratcheted up uh, the pressure to persecution, and when he still wanted to continue to preach the gospel, uh, they, they ran him out of town wanting to destroy him. In fact, he survived even death itself, having been stoned in this area of Asia, the Roman province of Asia. 
And uh, so now I want to look at uh, the various personalities of what, of what they have done through difficult times. Let's look at two guys from the early church. Uh, as you know, around in the fifth, early 5th century, the, the western part of the Roman Empire was destroyed by the, by the Visigoths who came through and destroyed uh, Rome and to completely destroyed the government. And so what happened is there was two great leaders that I want us to look at as we prepare ourselves to respond in a time of crisis. One of them was Jerome. And Jerome, when he saw this atrocity happening, he absolutely was devastated. And he decided he's going to withdraw into the wilderness and literally wait to die because the unthinkable had happened in as far as he was concerned. And he said these devastating words. He says, when the bright light of all the world was put out, talking about Rome, he says, the whole world perished in one city. Devastating words to say. In his mind, I think he was probably influenced by his eschatology, perhaps. He was expecting the kingdom of God to be uh, together in one sense with politics and political power. And so when the seat of, of government was destroyed, which in his mind was Christendom, to him, there was nothing to live for. He was completely discouraged and he wanted uh, death. And then we have another person. His name is um, Augustine. And Augustine's uh, response was very, very different. He wrote in the middle of this situation when he heard that Rome has been destroyed. He's in North Africa in Hippo. And he says, these guys are advancing, and they are going to destroy Hippo as well, and, and the entire Roman Empire in the north of Africa. His response was very different. He wrote a book called The City of God. And in this book, he's contrasting the city of God with the city of man. And he says, there's a thing called the city of man. And the city of man is man-centered, and it is centered around power, conquest, wealth, comfort. And then he says, but there is the city of God. And he says, when the city of man is destroyed, the city of God could be advancing even in the middle of affliction and difficulties. And so he exhorted the church, and he said, as Christians, it is our duty uh, to pray and ask God for strength to endure trials and not spend time lamenting the outcome of God's mysterious providence. Two very dis different responses to the exact same situation. And crisis is not just simply what happens on the outside. You realize that crisis is also how you respond to what happens to you. These guys were having on the outside the exact same scenario playing out. One sees God being providential and powerful, and he sees the kingdom of God advancing even in the midst of a devastating situation. And another guy looks at the same thing, and he wants to withdraw into the wilderness and to perish and die. In the words of Michael Horton, um, I want to say that this is what 
Augustine would have realized. He realized that the kingdom of God does not evolve from within us. Or the other extreme, the kingdom of God does not, does not emerge, rather, does not emerge from within us. But the kingdom of God also does not evolve through our moral and cultural programs. But rather the kingdom of God descends. It descends from God. It breaks through into our miserable lives and it inaugurates the restoration power of Almighty God even as he moves in our lives. And this is going to be consummated at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to now end with this word of exhortation to us. How are we to respond in the middle of crisis? I've shown, I, might, I will show you some photos in a moment. But how are we to respond in the midst of crisis? Yes, we do have some photos there. As I mentioned earlier, I come from KZN, South Africa. Uh, a couple of months ago, June, July, uh, last year, we had a near collapse of our country. In a sense, it's almost like signs of a, a failed state, if you will, um, that, that are playing themselves out. And then there was massive riots that you may have heard of. And I remember at this particular time, almost being in a sense in depression, just thinking about what is going on in our nation. Um, and so I remember just thinking to myself, I need to speak to somebody who's going to help me lift my gaze and to not respond internally uh, based on what is going on outside. And, and I picked up a phone and phoned one gentleman in our city. He says, he's a pastor, a great guy, Grant Crawford. And I said to him, Grant, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How are we to respond in this situation? And Grant says to me, I really feel like this is a demonic attack. And he says, if I didn't, I would have thought of immigrating from this country and so forth. But he says, I really feel faith in my heart. And so he says, I've already spoken to the mayor. And he says, I think our response should be, as the church, we need to go out and clean our city. I mean, our city was burned down and absolutely nearly destroyed. And so I felt faith for that. And I said, please, he's already sent out a message to, to his folks. I said to him, we need to send a message, not just to your church, but on behalf of the entire city of Peter Marisbeck. And so he redid this thing, sent it out, and we went out into the streets. And these are some of the photos. And cleaned. And I thought it was a prophetic action that on the outside you would have looked at it and said, what is picking up a few papers going to do to this city? But I think it was symbolic of what we were, were expecting God to do, to say, let, let us see a, a different spirit. Instead of chaos and destruction, let's go out and let's pick up those papers. And it's unbelievable what God did. I mean, companies started to send their own folks and that city had never been as clean as it was in the aftermath. <laughs> of this situation and and now lately we've had some some more devastation uh, because it, the almost, our economy was almost destroyed but now we've just had floods that have destroyed our country and you can see uh, some of the devastation more than 500 people have perished 
More than 50 are unaccounted for, buried in the rubble and the muck as these waters are going through our cities. But I think we need not look at this thing like Jerome and say that when Durban or Peter Marisberg uh, perished, the whole world perished in one city. No, it may be perishing in terms of the city of man, but the city of God is on the move and God is saving people and he's mobilizing us as his people uh, to clean up. So what then are we uh, to do, I ask again, and I think our text gives us um, a couple of clues. You will see in verse three, I think there's a parallelism there. He mentions, he gives God various titles. He calls him God in verse three, and then calls him Father two times, and then calls him God two times. And I think when he addresses God as God, and he calls him the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is focusing on the power of God. He's focusing on the attributes of God. And he say, God is large and he's in charge. And he is providential over everything that happens in our world. And then when he changes the rhetoric and addresses God as Father, he is telling us about the goodness of God and the compassion of God. He calls him the, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And what I want to encourage you to do in time of crisis, perhaps in your own context, I want to say to you, we need to know God. J.I. Packer wrote a book, classical book, that is simply titled Knowing God. And he's at pains to say that it is not knowing about God. He's not wanting to turn anybody into a, a theologian. He's saying you need to know God himself. And we ought to know God. And we need to know him as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think when he does that, he's, he's, he's wanting to evoke certain images in our minds. To say this God is the God who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him for us all. Elsewhere he says, will he not together with him freely give us all things? This is the God who gave his son for us. This is the father of all mercies. And then he says, this is the God who raises us from the dead. We've seen that in chapter 4, he says, we are perplexed, but we, are not, we don't despair. But here he says, we despaired even of life itself. It's almost as if he's contradicting himself. But he's setting us up to say, God sometimes pushes us to the very brink of ourselves. And when we come there, he then reveals himself to us as a God who raises us even from the dead. God wants us to get outside of ourselves and to look to him. God wants us to know him. And if we get to know his comfort, his mercy, his strength, and his fatherly hand, then we can go out and comfort others with the same comfort that we have received from Almighty God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who raises us from the dead. You are the God who providentially sometimes allows death itself to visit us. But you do this so that we may rely not on ourselves, yeah. 
but on the God who raises from the dead. Yeah. I pray for my brothers and sisters in various yeah. contexts and situations of affliction and suffering. I pray that even as they go through these difficulties, they may experience your comfort in a unique way and that they might be a blessing to the rest of your body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Masala, thank you. So helpful. Packed so much into 15 minutes there. Um, so Jerome wanting to protect the integrity of Christian community. Let's go into the desert. Let's have a pure community. Augustine providing a theological framework in a world which was in chaos because of the fall of Rome and, in, and uh, a resurgence of paganism in, as people actually were uh, saying Christianity is at fault. It's the reason that Rome has fallen is yeah. because it's been weakened by Christianity. We should go back to the old gods. So those two contrasting approaches in, in a situation like, like yours in KwaZulu-Natal where there's been so much chaos and you guys have had, just had unbelievable stuff to deal with. Is, is there a way in which, in your church, let's make it really local, how are you both holding on to the integrity of Christian community and giving people a kind of a theological fortitude so they know how to stand? How are you, how are you trying to pastor people? And, you know. We found it very, very difficult. Um, there was a time where some voices within our own local church was to say, I remember somebody saying, we need to, to come up with an emergency evacuation procedure, you know, and we need to help people to, to bug out of the city should there be destruction. Mm. And, uh, and those voices were very real, and we had to kind of be very sensitive and to speak into that and, and be honest about what is going on in our nation. But at the same time, we have uh, we've really felt to, to shepherd people well and to help them to uh, somehow know that even in the midst of chaos, uh, God is able to come to us in a unique way. I think our country in general, people tend to, to view government almost as a savior, mm. and politics is it's, it's, it's refuge. And, and sometimes God will confront our, our idols wow. uh, in this way, and we've kind of tried to shepherd people, uh, mainly through preaching, uh, to just say, lift your gaze. And uh, politics is not our saviour. Mm. Uh, we've got a real saviour. His name is Jesus. That's brilliant. Can we thank Masala again?